Lock and Load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Live and on demand, but not that much in demand, of course. We're here because nobody else would have us. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here because nobody will have him. And then Aaron McIntyre. That's pretty self-evident if you take a look over there. Uh, we are here and uh, proud to be here alongside an old friend of ours. Rachel Semmel is here with us. Uh, she is the communications director for the Center for Renewing America, former communications director for the White House Budget Office. She'll be joining us here for the Days Group in just a moment. Of course, we'd love to know what you think about what we think. Let us know via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Uh, you can also look for Steve, da- Steve Dace over on Me. We parlor and gab follow me on twitter while you still can at steve day show remember with all of these various social media platforms it's just day by day living if you love censorship youtube's the place for you go to youtube.com slash steve day you'll get all forms of censorship of this program on that site you can also go to rumble.com slash steve day show and if you're one of the dwindling number of americans not in favor of censorship, try just subscribing to us directly at blazetv.com slash dace. By the way, next hour, it will be Feedback Friday. You'll get the chance to set the agenda of things we'll talk about. We'll delve into that stevedace.com inbox coming up in the next hour of the show. But before we get to all of that, of course, we begin, as we always do, with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. You know, with uh, big corporations meddling in our lives more than ever before, canceling free speech, we really need to make an effort to support companies that actually support us and our Constitution. If you haven't already done so, go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Steve right now and make the switch today. You can bring your own phone, get 50% off your first two months plus a free Patriot starter kit as well. All the details for this right now are on my special page at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Get the discount and the free starter kit at patriotmobile.com slash Steve or give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. Well, this is a special edition of the Dace Group. We mark the 100 days of the Biden presidency, but we begin the day's group as we always do with bleep, Lord Nefarious says. Dr. Fauci, give us vaccines. Help all the people who have been quarantined. Give me that double dose and make me go out cheap. So I can plan a kiss on Dr. The research was that you take the vaccine because it gives you immunity. Then why not treat it that way and let the vaccinated live their lives? Well, look, think about all the things that you can do if you're vaccinated today. You can gather, you can go to restaurants, you can do all these things. And if you're vaccinated, it's just simply not safe for you. Because the science indicates that the most certain way to make sure it doesn't spread if both people have been vaccinated, the people you're with, 
and you're outside. And you chose to wear a mask, sir. You chose to wear a mask. You chose to wear a mask as you walked out here. What message were you sending by wearing a mask outside alone? By watching me take it off and not put it back on to like it inside. I just don't understand why it's different than other vaccines. You know, you give your kids the vaccines and you don't still protect them in certain ways going forward. Either the vaccine makes you immune or it doesn't. And the research suggests it does, doesn't it, Andy? Well, for the 15 to 20 percent of people who who describe themselves as being on the fence, um, we've done a lot of research. We've done a lot of listening to them. And here's what we hear. Dr. Gupta, I am among the fully vaccinated, uh, joined Team Pfizer, uh, and I did go jogging today in the park. uh, And I did. This was the mask that I wore with a doctor's mask under it. But let me just take more one more swing at this. Get the vaccine because you will be able to get back to work and to life on your own terms. That's what Trump said. That's what Fauci and everybody else said, that the vaccine is our way through it. These guidelines say, yeah, kind of, kind of. But you still can't go to ball games and do things the way you used to, even if you're vaccinated. I don't understand why you slow walk that part. Yeah, I think we're in the middle of a process. When are kids going to be able to take off those masks and play outside at the playground? You know, that's going to be the same thing that I mentioned a moment ago. It's going to be a situation. Well, first of all, kids will ultimately wind up getting vaccinated. That's the side effect is you get to live life more if you have the vaccine. That's why I'm saying, why don't you, unless the science supports it in a way that I haven't seen from you guys, why put any restraints on the vaccinated? Well, let me roll it up this way. Why was President Biden the only world leader at the climate summit Zoom who was wearing a mask? Uh, Because he is sending a message to the world that he is putting in place precautions uh, and continuing to do that as leader of the United States. Let us begin. And Rachel, of course, as the guest, you get to go first. What was the best of the worst this week? Rachel, what say you? Well, the the best of the worst was Biden coming out with a mask on uh, to tell us that we don't need to wear masks outside anymore. Uh, That's going to be my favorite. It's also going to be my favorite that he also was wearing a mask on the podium two feet away from both the vice president and the speaker of the House who also are vaccinated. So at some point, I don't know how these guys aren't getting mask me. If I put on a mask, I break out to high heaven. These people like seem to be loving this. But the, the best of the worst was Biden literally refusing to take off the diaper that he puts on his face and loving it. Todd. I'm going to be a little meta. It's the entire thing. I can't believe that we're talking an entire montage basically about the cult of vaccine. Dr. Fauci. Yeah. I'm a perpetual virgin. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Todd. You were saying. I'm sorry. Rachel, uh, on behalf of the male species, we apologize for whatever the (laughs) hell that was. Good grief. But here's the thing. Here's why they're scared. And because- Alexa, why am I still a single successful female? And then that video yeah. plays. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry, Todd. Yes. But the reason there's so much hedging on this vaccine, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is because of how the cult of vaccination operated before we had ever heard of COVID. I'm not telling you not to get vaccinated. I'm not saying they don't work, but they've always oversold them. In a first world country with good hygiene, good diet, good sanitation, if you didn't have a lot of the inoculations that we regularly give kids, it wouldn't suddenly be like Captain Trips. It just it just wouldn't. 
but this thing with COVID, and they know that they really know this is what chicken pox vaccine cha-ching money uh, giving guys and, and non-sexually active uh, teenage girls the uh, Gardasil again the same thing this is about we've been conditioned to accept we just gotta have all these things when Steve and I were getting vaccinated as kids there was a cock combined cocktail of about 16 or 17 now it can get up to as high as 40 and but they know the the vaccination industry knows that there's there's holes in this thing there always has been and they can't admit that without destroying the entire notion of why we get vaccinated in the first place so the the back and forth there between chris cuomo and andy slavitt now for those of you that don't know who andy slavitt is first of all you're you're a quality human um, Andy Slavitt, I, I thought, frankly, should have been arrested for indecent exposure several times last year because uh, his Twitter feed was essentially um, an exhibitionist masturbatory exercise of filleting COVID-19 panic porn for an entire year. Is that sufficient description, do you think? And I don't want you to go any further. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Um, and And to watch him getting grilled there by Chris Cuomo, who asked him not once, not twice. He, he, dude, he, he went beyond buckwheat. We didn't even get three times a Haiti. He rounded third and headed for home. He tried a fourth attempt to get Andy Slavitt to answer the question. If we're vaccinated, why aren't we back? Those of us that are vaccinated in real life could not get an answer, right? Yeah. What translate that exchange? What do you think it means? It means that they know that the max the vaccine, this vaccine or vaccines in general, are not the bad magic bullet they've always sold them to be. They they know it, and they've been lying about it for a very very long time. And if they let you behind that curtain, the onslaught of right now you have already have a, it's always what twenty percent of Republicans are skeptical. It's actually more than that. This has always been, in my experience, uh, people on both sides of the fence. Yes. I mean, this is going on in Michigan right now where Gretchen Whitmer is now trying to tie reopening the state back up to vaccination rates. And, of course, they're making the political case on her side. Well, this is just a bunch of Republicans that don't want to get vaccinated. Um, The vaccination rate in Detroit is 30 percent. Yeah. That's it. Just think about the psychology of this. If you, if people lose faith in vaccination over COVID, when we shut down the entire country, it's it logically follows they're going to lose faith over it when it comes to the chicken pox and all of those other things. But and I would then argue that the money doesn't come. I would argue though that that is why they should be doing what Chris Cuomo is suggesting. I would be arguing that that's why they should be doing that because they're they're begging questions that we never even asked about this. In places like CNN didn't ask questions like this about vaccination ever. They're they're in they're they're begging these questions. The the better thing is just to count on the natural immunity that's already built in along with the vaccinating vaccination immunity you have now and and say vaccinated people get to go back totally to normal and then claim the win for vaccinations later on and act like natural immunity didn't exist this well, is exposing their ass they know they, they you know, look weak well, right here very ex- weak they're exposed either way now you know how much we talked about how the ro was set way too high and measuring for the case for people that don't know that's the rate of a spread from one person to or how much one carrier transmits a contagion to somebody well, else now it's been reported that they're purposely now setting it as low as possible Mm-hmm. Because they don't, they want to make sure they don't catch anything. Because they want to make sure it looks like the vaccines are magical. All right, Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, and if you want to know 
if there is a lack of critical thinking, it's the immediate pivot amongst those who are trying to sell you on whatever to either an emotional or a moral argument without actually looking at what the facts are. I saw somebody tweet, I think it was Thursday morning, um, I, I believe the exact words were, uh, nothing says American privilege quite like saying, ah, no, I'm not sure about this vaccine when thousands of people are dying a day in India. And this was a conservative as well. All right. If you want to know if you're in a cult or if you want to know that there's a not very much critical thinking going on, it's it's the immediate pivot, not to the facts, but to emotionalism, emotionalism. And that's really what's been tied up at the beginning uh, through the Branch Covidians with the mask, with the vaccine. And now it's it's spreading as well like a virus. But I think I think speaking of the Branch Covidians, what has upset me the most this week is I mentioned this on the montage the other day. End-stage cults usually become fixated on something. Hail bopping, spaceships, flavor aid, something like that. You get what I'm saying? You catching my drift? Yeah. It seems to me the Branch Covidian cult has become fixated on becoming as cringe as humanly possible through song. <laughs> With just those two examples. <laughs> I had a couple of uh, more in the montage. I had three or four that went viral this week that I didn't even mention of people bastardizing song in order to sing about the glorious power of the vaccine or to sing about the glorious power of Fauci or Biden. That is my goodness. My goodness. I, I really do wish I would have followed through on the ovulating wives in this audience. Thank you. Yeah. For not playing all of those various songs. I, I wish I would have yes. followed through creating the Branch Covidian hymnal praising vaccine and song so that they could have had something better to sing other than these these ridiculously mind numbing covers that they've been doing all week. On a scale of one to ten exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being Joe Biden's cognitive awareness most days, and 10 being his love for segregationists. Uh, rank this week's level of total depravity, Rachel. Well, I, I'm i new to this numbering system, so I think 1 and 10 are both equally horrible. So I would say <laughs> 1 and 10. This week is like as low as it could be. But it's been seven days since LeBron has tweet-splained us. So for that, I'm going to take it a win and give us a 2. Okay. I like that explanation. I like it. Yes. Todd. She's going to give Shannon Joy a run for her money and redefining the terms of what you yes. That's outstanding. I refuse to accept any premise yes. of any question Steve asks. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I, and, and I in feel like maybe her, I'm... My, my explanation to her was, I, I don't know if she asked me, I don't know if one or ten is worse, and I just replied, yes. Oh, yeah. I was yes. thoroughly entertained <laughs> by all of it. I, I, I also kind of think we're maybe the last show to complain about people not conforming to the premise of a question. But yeah, anyway. It's Steve Dace's common core system. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, Rachel is correct. Todd, yes. Well, because we're clearly at full cult status now, if that wasn't evident before, it has to be a 10. Aaron? 10. Let's get to issue two, the biggest story of the first 100 days. The first 100 days of the Biden presidency have been something. He started his first term as president, surrounded by thousands of National Guardsmen who were stationed in D.C. because of the apparently imminent threat of QAnon-believing, Trump-supporting, Proud Boys, white nationalist, Nazi climate-denying, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, right-wing, armed insurrectionists. It's... 
<clears throat> Unclear if the threat remains, but the guardsmen are indeed still there. Then there was the plea for 100 days of masking. He also passed the third round of COVID stimulus payments, the ongoing bungling of vaccine messaging. There's also the transgendering of everything via executive order. He's also not dealt with that pesky little problem on the border with the kids and the aluminum foil and the human trafficking minor stuff. Recently, the White House announced the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan for approximately the ninth time. This week, the White House also announced it's planning to ban the sale of menthol cigarettes in the country. So, Todd, first question this round goes to you. What has been the biggest story of the first 100 days of the Biden presidency and why? I think it's the the clear idolatrous propaganda of the press because the, it this just wasn't about and it, uh, everybody on this show obviously understands it and isn't surprised by it but it wasn't just a particular trump fixation that caused them to go all wacky and now this was going to be a nice reset and it would be journalism as normal no trump, no we retired the washington post retired its fact checker yeah, this week, yeah, yes, exactly. See, that's a perfect example. I mean, Biden about. stayed alive through the first hundred days. They thought, let's not push it. Let's retire the fact checker. Yes, Trump was the opportunity, the window to turn things up to eleven. Final tap. The way the press always wanted to do it, and but they had to kind of navigate some degree of the rules or decorum. But they're not going to. There's there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. Now they are full on propagandists for whatever Biden and the hard, hard left desires. And there's really no going back. And that's why the that that press. Must I'm sorry, be, Todd, you forgot to say the the very Catholic president. Biden. Of course. Yes. Of course. Okay. Mea culpa, mea culpa. Aaron. I would say the biggest story is the embrace of the lie really from both sides of the aisle, the brace of the, uh, the lie that the Biden presidency has been a return to normal. Apparently I didn't get the memo on this. Did you guys get the memo on this? The return to normal means a dementia patient as a figurehead of a government run by the deep state. That's right. I did by, get that memo. You, I, I you got that. I, memory I did. And you yes. Didn't I forgot. That on yes. Me. yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Apparently that's, that's our new normal now. Is that our new normal? But it's, at least we don't have the mean tweets. At least we don't have the mean tweets. At least we don't have the gas is $9 a gallon, but we don't have yeah. mean tweets. Yeah. 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 A return to normal. And this is not normal. This is not normal. It's nice on the outside. It's nice on the outside, but it is a whitewashed tomb. That's not to say that the Trump administration was by any means was by any means uh, great <laughs> as far as this, the context of what I'm saying goes. But this idolatry of everything looking and feeling nice and normal and not weird and not 3 a.m. mean tweets. It's just preposterous. And it's at least of the political class. I don't know how much of the rest of the country, but at least amongst those who follow politics deeply, the political class itself it is just it is just an indication of the unmooring from reality that that they have um, that they have hooked themselves to that this is this is normal because we don't have mean tweets essentially. I, I think that's the biggest story. Rachel, same question to you. 
I think the inaccessibility of the president at a time in 2021 where we have social media channels that you can communicate to your people, cameras on all the time. We hardly see or hear from the president. He doesn't go out to Marine One and give us stakeouts like President Trump does. He obviously doesn't call into the morning shows and talk for an hour. We barely see hide nor hair of him. And the fact that the Washington press corps, White House press corps, many of which I had to deal with when I was in the White House, and they're not saying a peep about this president, the same president who has more lids than a Tupperware party. The fact that they're giving him that much cover for being that inaccessible is pretty ridiculous. I will say he took inaccessibility to the next level, though, when he uh, called Kamala Harris yesterday, uh, Vice President Harris, or, sorry, President Harris. He's so inaccessible that he's calling her Madam President. So the fact that we barely see or hear from him, he's had one press conference. I think that's pretty shocking. How, what, how many people do you think should tune in to watch the first, and it really was a State of the Union, the first State of the Union speech by a president who allegedly received 80 million votes. How many people do you think should tune in to watch that? At you least guess? 79 million. <laughs> How many people do you think would, would should tune in to watch that? On a normal Thursday so school night? Uh, no, it was a, it oh, was Wednesday a Wednesday. School night, it was yeah. a Wednesday. Uh, I would say... I would say 35 million. Okay. What would you say, Rachel? What would you, what would you say the number is? Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm bad with numbers. I would say more than the evening news, but less than a Dateline episode. <laughs> Does that put me at the worst? Nice, nice. 11.6 million people watched the State Yo. of the Union address on Wednesday. Yo. 11.6. 11.6, guys. 11.6, that's it. See, this this is speaks to what Rachel is talking about, though. Like inaccessible. Like he's just he he doesn't matter. He's not relevant as long as they know he's that on- last part. I think is what you just is, is key because I could argue inaccessibility should increase the audience if for no other reason mm-hmm. there's a supply and demand issue. But-, but he, what you said is true. Everybody kind of knows. Yeah, right. You you voted for Joe Biden for two reasons. To either get rid of Donald Trump or to be the Trojan horse that you wheeled through the city gate, and then once it got in, once Uncle, yeah. once the Trojan, once Uncle Joe Trojan horse got through the gate, then the radicals come out the back end who are really running the show. Those are the two reasons you voted for Joe Biden, right? right. Okay, and therefore everybody that voted for him, whether well, you think the number is eighty million or seventy-five or sixty-nine, who knows? However many people legitimately voted for him, they all did so acknowledging up front he doesn't matter they already milked that cow it's empty it's dry they got what they wanted you have a perspective on that at all rachel no i i mean i i think it was a cute funny joke when he was in the basement during the campaign and maybe we just got used to the fact that he was only going to come out whenever he felt like it so maybe he's primed us to not want him but i do think it's pretty shocking that it and it goes back to what todd was saying maybe since the media is running such cover for him it's the illusion that he's not wanted because they're not asking him hard questions i I don't know i i don't i honestly don't understand how the leader of the free world can get away with showing up once every five days. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a task. I think irrelevant is, is the perfect word for that. I mean, the position itself, the bully pulpit that is the United States presidency, 
the leader of the free world. You possess the nuclear football. You have the power to do things um, the biggest emperor could never could never even dream of in in eons past. You think that would be a relevant position? A relevant position, correct? Correct. You have the power, literally, to end all life on Earth. If you, if we're being honest with the nuclear football, well, uh, that's say, not a that's Aaron. not a that's not a relevant position. Um, yeah, no, he, but he is. He's irrelevant because everybody can see that he's just he's not all there. He's not all there, and that should be. If you're looking at if you're looking at this from a geopolitical standpoint. I mean, we're just we're just handing over hand over fist examples and excuses to other other countries and other nations who don't have our best in, interests at heart. We're handing them excuses to look weak. Rachel, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, Biden has said on multiple occasions he'll get in trouble if he asks too many or yes. answers too many questions. So maybe yeah. there's something going on we don't know about. And that's why he's hiding. There's four of us here. One of us has worked inside a White House. That's you. What is a typical schedule like? You know, we, we see these stories of the president calling a lit at 10 a.m., 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, taking so many uh, trips back home to Delaware over the weekend, things of that nature. Um, yeah, this is the first time, I think, in American history a president has not attempted to promote almost a, dear, a fearless leader level of virility and robustness from his persona and presence and his work ethic, right? Like... They're just pretty open about the fact that, you know, hey, this guy's kind of just showing up and doing what, what have you. What is the, What is a day like in the White House, Rachel? What, what is it truly like? Well, I'll tell you, it starts a lot earlier than uh, the, the President Biden starts it. And, you know, you'd see President Trump, who kind of set the tempo for the White House, calling in to, say, Fox and Friends or Morning with Maria at 6 or 7 a.m. like he did today when he's not president go on for an hour and then just do business as, as usual. He'd hop on towards the last couple months of the administration. He'd hop on Marine One, go to rallies or he'd go, you know, visit the border. He'd go to Pennsylvania, et cetera, come back at, say, one or two in the morning and be up at it all over again. And I don't know how you're not just on all the time as a leader of the free world. But when you have uh, the vice president taking your, your phone calls with world leaders, I guess it leaves more time to just take naps. So if he's not doing the work, you've been also a member of a White House support staff. What's everybody else in there doing all day long then? Are they are they the people that are really running the country? Because that's the question then. If it's not Joe Biden, who's who's running this thing over there every day? Well, no, that's a good question. And also uh, the support staff who who clearly is the, the the pulling the strings of the puppet over there, they're all allegedly working from home. So if you're, I don't know if you remember that's this, a great President point. Biden yeah. wanted all of his political staff for the first 100 days not to come into work. So how you do your work in a skiff or somewhere where you need to have security, well, as we know, security doesn't matter if if John Kerry's having croissants at you know Panera with the, the Iranian uh, security uh, officials. But how do you show up and run this country? I don't know who's running the show. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. When you hear that, Todd, from someone who has a first person perspective on this, you think what? Uh, well, I'm I, I'm not surprised. There was no way he was ever going to be capable 
Uh, and there was no interest of anybody having him run the country. He's a, a, a man out of time, and he parrots things now just because it's the easiest way to get past whatever he's dealing with in the moment and to go on to nap time or Delaware or whatever it is. He's an utterly kept man. He knows it. He's fine with it. And that's America right now. Rachel, this sound- this, go ahead, Rachel. I will say this one more thing, Steve. You know, one thing that isn't getting a lot of coverage is the types of nominees that are getting pushed through right now that are doing the work for him at the Department of Justice or DHS. They're all Brookings people. They're all people that have a policy, a very leftist policy or activist background. And, you know, we're seeing it happen firsthand. They're just going to rubber stamp their lives as activists or policy hacks on the outside. And they're going to go in and they're making our federal government the ACLU. They're making our federal government the Brookings Institute. And, of course, we can talk about how Republican senators are just rubber stamping those nominees. But those are the people that are running the country in lieu of President Biden. You know what you call that? And it just needs to be said. Total victory. For progressivism. I, I think yeah. you need to understand, therefore, like, let's, there's a lot of talk that next year Republicans will have a huge year. Let's say that that occurs. The dynamic that Rachel just described, you won't see a Bill Clinton after 1994 come out and say the era of big government is over. Um, you won't see a sequester like what you saw after the Tea Party revolution in the Obama years. They're just going to just hammer meets nail and go right through you every day regardless of whatever the outcome of the 2022 election is, because it's their own Leviathan that's running the system. So your ability to like pressure a president or threaten him with reelection or things of that nature, that's not even on the table in the scenario that Rachel is describing. The, 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 the bureaucrats who don't care what you think are really in charge running the show. So it doesn't matter if Republicans have a 10 seat or 60 seat majority next year, they're just going to do the same thing in all these departments they were doing before. That's why whoever comes next needs to have a horse's head mentality. Like you got to go bigger, go home out of the gate. Letter grade for the first hundred days, Aaron. Uh, C D F Rachel. Hundred percent an F, Aaron. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm 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 pressing fifteen buttons right now. That's what's wrong with me. That, that's an excuse. Uh, twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock. We'll come back. More of the day group here in a moment. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. No matter where it leads, the Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Of course, this is the Day's Group, your weekly look at the week that was special. 100 days of the Biden administration edition. Our guest here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and myself. Our guest panelist this week is our old friend Rachel Semmel. She is the communications director, fellow at the Center for Renewing America, former communications director for the White House Budget Office as well. Let's get to issue three, shall we? The best thing Biden has done so far. Here's what Biden says he's most proud of the other night during his first address to Congress. Together we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most consequential rescue packages in American history. After I promised we'd get 100 million COVID-19 vaccine shots into people's arms in 100 days, 
We will have provided over 220 million COVID shots in those 100 days. Our progress these past 100 days against one of the worst pandemics in history has been one of the greatest logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. Critical investments to address the opioid crisis. And maybe most importantly, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. While this was all going on, the economy created more than 1,300,000 new jobs in 100 days. More jobs in the first... More jobs in the first 100 days than any president on record. First question, Rachel, we will go to you. Name something legitimately good. We can be snarky later. But name something legitimately good you believe Biden has done in his first 100 days. I will say that the whole uh, ending endless wars, the fact that he is withdrawing the troops from Afghanistan, I'm going to give him credit for that. I do think he doesn't get full credit just because he is pushing it back, uh, pushed it back five months from the last time that President mm-hmm. Trump said he was going to withdraw. But I, I also not going to give him complete full credit either just because he's not withdrawing so we can focus our attention on, say, China. But I do give him credit for maintaining that Trump policy of ending endless, endless wars. Agree. Todd? Uh, vaccine pause. I'm shocked it happened, quite frankly. It speaks to what I said earlier on about how these things normally work. It was a moment of honesty and genuine concern that I really, it's hard to believe that it happened. And and there's people now saying, oh, there was just overreach, overreaction. No, that's one of the few things, honest moments you see when it comes to vaccination. So I appreciated that. Aaron. I'm not trying to be snarky. I know that's how this is going to come across. I know I'm not trying to be because I, I figured that, you know, Afghanistan would be mentioned and, and maybe the vaccine pause as well. But I think it is I think the the legitimately good thing to come out of this long term is the um, science denying uh, uh, that that this White House is doing. Going out to announce that you don't have to wear a face mask outside after being vaccinated while wearing a face mask, that's going to wake up a lot of people. Hopefully, if that type of trend continues and we have no indication to think that that's going to slow down anytime soon, that type of thing is going to tick a lot of people off or at least cause them to say, hey, what's going on? Maybe the science really isn't isn't the science, the lowercase s science that I've been told and, and sold my entire life. So I think is in a roundabout way, the science denying the sci I should say the science denying is, is probably the best thing to come out so far. All right. Do you guys want to comment on what Aaron just said? I thought that was an interesting angle. Rachel, I'll let you go first. You know, I think it is good. I think uh, where it comes to uh, the my body, my choice argument, when somebody like me who likes to talk about life, that's also been a good perk of the the holes that have been punched through with what Aaron has said. I do find it interesting, though, that all of a sudden the media has decided that they, in the last week or two, that they've going to start uh, questioning the science that the administration's popping up. Like Savannah Guthrie wasn't do, conducting these interviews a week or two ago. So I'm curious what changed. But no, Aaron, I, I think that's a good point. And I, I agree. If nothing else, it allows uh, us who were previously freaks uh, some cover. 
Todd? Uh, well, th th this is not, we're in a post science society. We're in a post-truth, post-Christian, yeah. post-science. We're just so, in a post-society society. I don't. I. I. I just don't believe in any return to normal. Even the motivations of Savannah Guthrie aren't aren't really because she's bound to science. She's she and others are bound to the magical thinking of versions of return to normalcy that never were and never will be again. Um, I mean, we're talking about the president who appointed Rachel Sim, uh, Rachel, um, no, no, sorry. Uh, uh, Rachel uh, Levine. Rachel I'm Levine. Right here, I'm Todd. Yes, I'm I right know. Here, Todd. Please. I know. Don't, <laughs> don't hurt me. Dear God. Uh, I, yes. Uh, that's, that's where we live now. Is it possible that, and I, I mean this sincerely too, that the best thing that has happened is because he is so obviously frail as a figure that you're getting unfettered, unfiltered, hard leftism now. That that we got it under Obama too, but, and I remember those years very well, and you can see when he wasn't on the ballot, his party got decimated for it. When he was on the ballot, he decimated his opposition. Getting around the power of his persona and and yep. and and the infectiousness of his personality to to try to nail him on a worldview standpoint was the nailing uh, trying to nailing uh, of Jello to a door. Right? We don't have that now. We, we we first of all we got an old white male. Secondly, he's old frail. If he gets through a sentence or an hour talking, everybody's like, made it through, okay? Um, and so now it's just the ideology, right? Yes, I agree. There's no, no, no human shield of a persona there. And everybody across the country is getting a hard look at the stuff we've been warning has been going on in the universities and the bureaucratic state and in Hollywood and in the media. And everybody's getting it full throat right now. Is there a benefit yes. to that? Oh yeah, that's one of one of my and it's my point about another point about Rachel Levine. Like the, I was really worried that they were gonna go all buttoned up on this right. and have the appearance of a very clean and functional yeah. facade. But no, I mean that's why I'm Jen Psaki. You can just tell like a willful liar, a total hack. They just they just opened Arkham Asylum. Yeah, they, they opened Agreed. all the doors, all the windows. All restraints are removed, yeah. and I mean, it's just Arkham Asylum's just open, and they are welcome to just, it's no longer Gotham City, it's Arkham City now, right? Yeah, it makes it a lot easier for us to sit here and say, well, I told you, what do you think I was talking about? Rachel, you have any thoughts on that? No, I agree that the left has overplayed their hand, and we're seeing that now with maybe even some of the critical race theory stuff. I mean, I don't remember... We knew about critical race theory for a while, but Fox News never used to run segments on anything this controversial ever, and now they do segments every day. Right. So I get the point of the left overplaying their hand. Britt Hume, who saying. spent years on Fox News, saying to the candidates that you and I like, Rachel, these are this stuff's too radical. We can't talk yep. about it. Britt Hume is now losing his mind about ra the racialism agenda on Fox News. To your point, yes. Yeah, but also to what Todd was saying earlier, the left has overplayed their hand. 
maybe that means the Republicans pick up some seats in the House in 2022. But when it comes to our society and it wants to, when it comes to like the culture that we grew up in, the culture we want to return to, I don't know if we go back there because, as you were saying, Todd, I don't know if there is a return to normal. Just because the left overplays their hands doesn't mean we're going to go back to Mayberry. And and I think that's kind of the the you know know the times that we live in. Steve, you talk a lot about this on social media on your show. We're in a time now where we've got a little bit of light left, and I'm not sure we can capture all of it, but let's ex- let's extend the light as long as we can, because uh, the Rachel Levines aren't going anywhere. I'll give you the final point on this, Aaron. This is an example of what I what I mean. You know, we we've we've talked on our show. It would be fascinating if Trump were president today and were attempting to sell his vaccines, which he views as his greatest triumph, to an audience of his own supporters that are not all of the skeptics, but certainly make up a a good chunk of them, right? Mm -hmm. How much would the Naomi Wolf's and the Bill Maher's of the world be as as effectively and bravely pushing back against the stuff they're pushing back on now if if it was Barack Obama and his persona as opposed to Joe Biden's, right? Right. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, because you can always fall back on, well, Joe's been there for 50 years, blah, blah, blah. Um, I I agree with, with Rachel. That doesn't automatically, just because people don't like the full Monty of, of progressivism doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be spurred come election time or come uh, nut cutting time to actually change course. Unless, I think, it depends, I think, though, on how much it impacts them at a very personal level, mm-hmm. all right? You can nominate a senior undersecretary to the second level of the CDC chief who happens to be a dude who feels pretty. I'm not injecting that dude right. into my uh, arm. I'm right. not injecting that dude into my gas tank. I'm not paying $5 a, a gallon for transgendered gasoline. It, it depends on how much of this stuff hits them close to home. And we've seen, I just mentioned gasoline. That's one, that's one thing. That's a pretty, pretty big deal. Uh, another thing uh, would be, hey, uh, you know, critical race theory is spreading like cancer throughout the schools. Um, do I want that in my children's school? It depends on how much of this unvarnished, unfettered progressivism hits them close to home. And if it continues to do that, then I, I think the, the the recoil on that is is, well, we'll see what it is. But I don't think that's going to be exactly helpful for Democrats. Exit question. If your overall view of the Biden presidency's first 100 days were an ACDC song, which ACDC song would it be? A, Highway to Hell. B, Hell's Bells. C, Rock and Roll Damnation. Seeing a trend. Uh, And then D, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Aaron. Dirty Deeds. Rock and Roll Damnation. Rachel. Uh. Dirty deeds are costing us six trillion, so I'm not going to go there. I will go highway to hell, except for I think we're on the HOV lane. If nice. We do a remix. We're going to do HOV lane to hell. That's where we're on. <laughs> Let's get to issue four. Um, your personal favorite Biden moment so far. This is where you now have permission to be snarky if you would like. But your personal favorite Biden, President Biden moment so far, Todd. The whole devout Catholic theme in conjunction with him going full tranny because he's. He's forcing the war within Catholicism that must be fought. See, this goes to what, was, what people like you and, and the folks over at LifeSite News, God love them, who think Latin mass is a sellout, right? Okay. Um, 
you guys have been trying to provoke this fight inside yeah. your own magisterium for how many years now? I'm in. And suddenly Joe Biden is just it's it's everywhere you turn. He's 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 poking the bear and 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 now the and Rome can't hide from these conflicts any longer. He's no, he's doing you a solid in a, in a certain way, right? I don't know how you can. I mean, you 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 may as well just you can't excuse the hierarchy that you've often talked about mm-hmm. as being relevant if you stand there and watch this. What do you think, Rachel? Your favorite Biden moment so far? I think it was the day when he declared a national mask mandate uh, for all of us while showing up at the Lincoln Memorial and with his family with no mask on. I knew we were in for just a bunch of awesomeness, and I've not been disappointed. (laughs) Awesomeness. Aaron. Wearing a mask during a video teleconference. That's my favorite. And that was the climate conference last week, right? I mean, that, that photo of all those... How many nations is it now? G7, G8, G28, Rachel, do you know how many it is now? I, I don't I don't know how many Gs there are, but I do think that moment was kind of like the Obama bowing moment. It was a moment where we all were like, wow, that's a we great analogy. Really weak as yes. a country. And it was sad. I think that was sad. I think it was sad more than anything that we looked weaker than Angela Merkel two boxes over on the screen. To answer your question, that's a great analogy. We're heading to one country. I see what you did there. I'm feeling you. Okay. Um, Let's get to a forced prediction. You have to predict something that you think will happen in the next 100 days of the Biden presidency. So we don't do this very often, a forced prediction, but we're going to do it this week. Something you believe will happen in the next 100 days of the Biden presidency. Aaron. I believe there will be, at some point, a 10-day um, between a seven and ten day period, but no, no fewer than ten days, will where we will neither see nor hear from Joe Biden, and the media will act like nothing is happening. It will be completely memory hold. How often have you has it been over a week and a half when you never see or hear from a president? That like never happens, right? I think we are going to have and and we'll never figure out what happened during those ten days. It's just going to be like he didn't exist for ten days. That's a phenomenal prediction. I kind of don't want to like do mine now. I mean, that's that's the first time I've ever had a good prediction. Maybe it's well, it's amazing when you're not doing NFL preseason game handicapping. Oh picks. crap! You, you, I should have parlayed you, that into a get a little smart, to, yeah. a little smart act going on there, Todd. Now I feel like I gotta come off the top rope. That's and... that's a pretty potent prediction yeah. right there, especially because I think we all like there's a bold ass prediction, then there's a dumb ass prediction, right? And there's a sometimes there's a thin line between those two. That, though, is a bold-ass prediction that you could see happening, what he just suggested. You could see that. Okay, how about um, how about this? Biden resigns. I could see that happening. Yeah, like the, how about the fact like nobody was like, oh, come on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I, I could I could I could see that happen. The one I was going to give though is that he will act due to violence in the next hundred days in the inner city somewhere for who knows what the cause will be. Biden will ultimately send more federal troops into it than Trump ever did. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, dude, ban those menthol cigarettes. He might have to send well, in uh, the National anything. Guard, brother. It could be anything. All right, uh, Rachel, what do you think? I think Hunter Biden's going to become an adjunct professor at a. Big 10 and or Pac-12 school after his Tulane debut. Like Oregon, didn't they uh, didn't they decriminalize hard drugs out there? They are closing the I think, restaurants I think the and bars. I think the kids are going to love them. 
Now, are we being too hard on Tulane University? I mean, Hunter was in town, get ready to crush the French Quarter. They probably just thought, you know, while you're here, you know, just, you know. Uh, you know what? People aren't talking take about Take an Uber over other, here and we'll let you talk, right? People aren't talking about the other panelists on that panel with Hunter Biden. It's CNN, Washington Post, The Atlantic. It's like the worst of the worst and the topics on 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 fake news. So, yeah, I mean, Tulane. Looks so they brought like them in as subject matter experts, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> right. Yes. I, I should bring them all my emails that I brought with me to from the White House of me, you know, arguing with reporters. I I run, you know, run circles around him. But you know, Hunter Biden's in the glass blowing now. He's into art making. He's glass blowing. I like it. My prediction is Kamala Harris never. We got to go. Kamala Harris never visits the southern border in the next hundred days that she's in charge of fixing. That's mine, which seems pretty trite, given all the other ones. Rachel, it was great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet. We'll come back. Feedback Friday coming your way here with our number two. Stay tuned. You're listening to Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And we're back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. I want to thank our old friend Rachel Semmel. She did a fantastic job last hour with the Dace Group Roundtable Biden 100 Days Edition. Don't forget, you can let us know what you think about what you think. In fact, we're going to... Er, yeah, you think about what we think. In fact, we're going to find out here in just a few minutes with Feedback Friday. Uh, Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, Gab. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And if you're a podcast listener, thank you. We appreciate you. We would ask that you would, in turn, show your appreciation for us. Hit that five-star button. Refer, give us a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button. I'm told the more of you that do those two things, it helps our podcast to grow. I, I don't see any evidence of this. It seems like our work helps the podcast to grow. But anyway, let's find out. Nonetheless, we like to read positive reviews of ourselves because we have fragile male egos. I, I don't know about you guys, but I get bored sometimes, you know, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. I just log on to our iTunes page and just start reading the five-star reviews to make myself feel better. Todd, your thoughts? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Is no. this before or after <laughs> you use the... Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say that on the air. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh. 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 Nice. I'm just going to hold that out there. I'm going to dangle that out there. This, you know how many emails I'm going to get now? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? I'm here for this game. I expect it to go on for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Finding where the line is. It's going to be glorious. I feel like I don't need to ask this, but... Is spending time reading positive reviews of yourself. I mean, that's not a dude code violation, right? Yeah, it is. It is? Oh. Depends on, on what the motivation for it is. What would be the right motivation? Going to read reviews just to see what people think. And they just all happen to be positive? And they all happen to be positive, you know. 
after like oh, well, two yeah. or three, then then you should probably call it quits. But but that's taking the good with the bad. If you're going in there, I'll t- well, okay, I just want to know. I just need to know, like you yeah. often say, yeah, then, yeah. then that's fine. But if if you're going in there looking for a pick me up, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. If that's your Delilah, that's bad. <sighs> well, I'll tell a f- friend of mine not to do that anymore. <laughs> Uh, let's get to Feedback Friday, brought to you by Rough Greens. You know, we've been talking about Rough Greens for quite a while right now. It is that powder that you sprinkle into your pet's food that puts all the good stuff that's likely missing from it back in. You know, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc. That's why we humans buy so many supplements these days. That stuff's been taken out of our food for mass consumption and distribution. The same thing has happened with our pets as well. Enter Rough Greens. They now have a supplement. Now, you may be wondering, though, Will my dog like this as much as your dog Cap does, Steve? One way to find out, how about we give you the Jumpstart bag for free? Give it a couple weeks, see if your dog takes to it. All you pay is the shipping. We give you the Jumpstart bag to get you started, though, for free. All you've got to do, go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. Again, you just pay for the shipping. The bag is free at roughgreens.com. Or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG. Again, that's 833 833- Rough dog. All right, let's get to some feedback Friday. This is from Elliot, who says, in a recent Ask Steve Anything, you said we were not a nation of immigrants, but a nation of citizens. By the way, I I need to give a hat tip. Uh, It was many years ago, so I don't know, anywhere between five or ten years ago. I was listening to the great one, Mark Levin, one evening. It was during, actually, it was back in uh, 2007. Uh, during the uh, the big battle at the end of the Bush administration about that was the first amnesty battle McCain Kennedy remember that yeah and the Bush White House was pushing amnesty really hard and Levin came out really hard against it and I'll always remember the good times Steve <laughs> and it was Mark Levin the great one uh, who I heard say this for the first time and it it's one of those things sometimes you hear somebody say something just kind of rocks your world you're like wow yeah like. That just simply just nails it. And he said, we're not a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of citizens. So that's where that came from. So props to Mark Levin. Elliot says, my father-in-law is a perfect example of this. In 1962, he immigrated from Brazil at the age of 20. He had visited years earlier with his father, who was an officer in the Brazilian Navy and couldn't wait to leave Brazil behind and go to the greatest country on earth. When he got here, he worked hard, often working two jobs. He didn't know a trade or even much English, but he knew that he had to work hard, show up early, stay late, learn to do things the American way. With the help of my mother-in-law, he has two successful businesses under his belt now, uh, and a third one is almost there. When people learn he's originally from Brazil, they always say how beautiful of a country it is and ask how often he goes back. My father-in-law tells such people he's an American, not a Brazilian living in America. And he came here because he wanted to be here and become an American. He even celebrates his American birthday, the day he became a citizen. I think that's exactly what Mark Levin meant when I first heard him say those words. He meant this story. Right here. I mean, my ancestors came here from Italy and, Sic- and Sicily. We, they maintained some of their traditions, but the goal was to become an American. If they, 
wanted to remain Italians and Sicilians, they would have stayed there. Now, we have a past, unfortunately, that we have to acknowledge where one particular group of people were not given that choice about whether to come here or leave their home country or not. True? Of course. And therefore, that has led to decades and centuries of difficulty trying to reconcile that and then ask ourselves, at what point now are you full-fledged Americans? And I think the way that this debate has devolved is it now seems as if more and more some sectors of the culture don't want to be Americans anymore. That the, the fight is no longer about you're denying me my divine rights as an American to I deny you the right to be an American or anybody else for that matter. Uh, and and so we have to keep using phrases like systemic racism and keep pretending it's 1957, 1962 uh, from this email all over and over and over again. And But it's never ever to reach a point of reconciliation of that past. It's in order to keep dredging it up as justification for ruining your future. I don't think you can really under understand anything about our current American moment until you understand what you just said. They are revolutionaries. They they don't want to live right. in America. They can't answer for you when it's good enough because it's America that they're against. Exactly. So it, so it can never be good enough. It's good enough when it's over and it's replaced by something else. That's That's when it's good enough. Let's go to Evan X, who says, we've never met, but I found you via Glenn Beck a few years ago. After hearing you, Todd, and Aaron, I immediately knew I'd found the right program. I'm a backslidden Christian that is recently divorced and found your show to be a real blessing to me. I had real hangups with what I believe were so many fake folks at my previous church. After listening daily, I've realized we're all just humans and, sin- and sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God, and it's Christ's resurrection that saves us. I'm so proud and happy for you guys. Uh, I've bought the book and I'm reading it now. I just wanted you to know that I love how humble, honest, and real you three are. It's motivating to me to see that other brothers struggle and are real about it. Keep up the good work and please don't ever stop being you. Don't let this success tarnish what you've built. Your story is amazing. Well, thank you, Evan. And the here's the biggest mistake we could ever make. In my opinion, the the biggest mistake we could ever make as a show wouldn't even be a, a, a moral failure of some kind that would cause people to lose faith in us. Ultimately, um, God resurrects dry bones. So I, I think that we could even come back from something like that with the right amount of repentance and atonement. And recognition. The worst thing we could ever do, and this is me speaking now as the guy whose name is on the marquee, the worst thing this show could ever do is allow you to elevate us to idyllic, lofty perches so that ultimately the credit for our success or lack thereof, the credit for our ideas, our wisdom goes to us and not who it really belongs to and should really go to. 
one way to make sure we never commit that mistake is to be very honest and thorough and transparent as much as we can be. Because, you know, sometimes when we're sharing what's going on in our lives, we have to be careful because there's other people's lives that intersect with those that didn't sign up for the mission that the three of us did sign up for. And therefore, they don't, they haven't acknowledged they're willing to give up a certain amount of privacy that the three of us have acknowledged we are to do this job, Mm -hmm. right? And so some things we do have to just keep personal and private between us because it intersects with the lives of other people that aren't on the front lines of the culture war. And and therefore, they haven't made the same deal uh, that we made in order to serve in this arena. But short of that, one way for us to make sure we don't create legions of followers in the traditional sense of the term is to show you our weaknesses, our our blemishes, our normalcies, our own struggles. Because if, if you looked at my career, how did I get here? I, I, my career path is not one you could follow. I don't have a degree from a four-year school. I remember I was speaking with one of the, one of the most powerful people in conservative talk radio, and I'll leave it at that, a few years ago. And he was contemplating bringing me in to his operation. But he was really hung up on my lack of education formal education, college. Because in his mind, without some impressive degree, I'm not qualified to pontificate on these lofty matters. I mean, where's my training from, education from? And I tried to be polite. You know, we went back and forth on this a few times. I tried to be respectful of my elder. He's very successful. But after a while, I just grew frustrated. And I finally just looked at him and said, you know what, man? I graduated from the same school as Rush Limbaugh, the guy that's been kicking all your asses for the last 20 plus years. Went to the same college he did. Conversation ended uh, shortly thereafter, okay? But um, we don't want to create drones, clones, followers. We're not looking to do that here. We're, We're hoping that what we create are are co-critical thinkers, co-activists, co-belligerents, co-warriors. And to avoid the temptation to both A, believe our own press clippings, and then B, stop you from believing them, one way to do that is to burp and fart around here every every now and then. You know what I'm saying? To let, let people see, in the end... I'm just a guy named Steve. You're just a guy named Todd. And that's just a guy named Aaron. I think we're the paradox here is the likelihood of what we want to accomplish our show uh, mission, how we, uh, of the mission we want our show to accomplish. The likelihood is it will be more likely to happen. If we decrease and the and the and the one who's responsible for us being here and our talent increases, the less we the less we try to get our arms and hands around it and own it, 
the more likely it is to slip and fall through our fingers. And so that's sort of the paradoxical way that we handle the show is we, we try to encourage you and lead you in a way by showing you we're actually not really any differently than you are. And therefore, if we can do this, so could just about anybody else. Any thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. There is a, uh, another, a letter writer, even after what we're talking about, but the answer is us. It's, it's, it's really hard to break this mold. They didn't feel up to the task of doing something. I can't remember addressing their employer or something like that. Just, just go for it. You, you, you got to jump the first time, all right? Up to that edge of the big, tall diving board and just jump and see what happens. You, you're, you are up to the task way more than you think. They're counting on that fear to keep you parked. Once you jettison that, you'd be surprised at what you can accomplish. Amen. Yeah, don't, uh, never, never, um, never, never live in, in fear. I echo everything Steve just said about being real. That's a catchphrase. That's a, a buzzword, but it is, it is so important. And when you're, um, when you're living the Christian walk, I think there's a difference. I think everybody in this room would agree. There's a difference between recklessness and, and taking risks or stepping out, out of your comfort zone seems risky to you might not seem like a risk to other people. It is incredibly freeing though. You never have quite the same amount of freedom though when you're pushing yourself, getting yourself outside of your comfort zone. I said last week, never, dudes, never, ever, ever allow yourself to get complacent or to strive for a state of being of comfort. Never. That's the worst enemy, I think, um, in a practical sense of, of men, because we are naturally passive. Um, it is freeing, though, when you are active and you're pushing yourself and getting outside of your comfort zone. If you feel like a real dude. Great example of that, not in a spiritual sense, but just as an example, is the first time I flew solo. Once you get off the ground, you know the first thought in your head? I got to get back down again, (laughs) okay? But you feel free and you feel alive then. That's what we're called to do. We're called to take risks. So don't live in fear. Take risks. Whatever those risks are to you, keep pushing those boundaries. Well said. This is from Ben. I'd like to say thank you because I believe you set me up for something great at the beginning of this year. The church where I worshiped voluntarily closed for in-person services. I left and haven't returned. This was tough for me to take as my grandparents have been member there, members there for years and I had gone with them every Sunday since moving here. I found another church that was open, walked in, and was welcomed. I became part of a young adult Bible study and volunteered as a leader at one of their recent youth discipleship events. I plan to continue my involvement when and where I can. If not for you and your show, I wouldn't have thought to look elsewhere. I believe God called me out of my comfort zone, but I also believe I was prepared for this call by your encouragement and for that. Thank you. You're welcome, Ben. Thank you very much. Paul writes, I probably don't fit your regular listener profile as a conservative, um, being that I'm an atheist, 
But taking this into account, I believe in the ideals of the church and the profound positive effects that it has on society. We can all see the fast movement away from the church to this utopian type junk progressives are spewing out and it's ruining the world over. The flow on effect of this nonsense from the United States to Australia is fast, spreading like an actual dangerous virus, unlike the less dangerous COVID. I have followed you through all of COVID and love the facts that you back up with your work, the pushback and the staunch backing in your beliefs. And most of all, that truth is your search for the truth is what keeps me coming back. It's refreshing and important work. Thank you, Paul. That's very kind. And therefore, if you don't mind, since you made since you announced yourself as an atheist, I would have one follow up question for you. You mentioned the ideals of the church and its profound positive uh, effects on society. That Those are your own words. I would ask you, my friend, um, fellow truth seeker, Paul, where does the power come from that gives the church the ability to have a profound positive effect on society? Where does the church's power to make such an impact, where does it come from? How does the church acquire that power? And why would the church uniquely have it? And if you're listening today, I'd love it if you wrote us back, steve at stevedace.com, with your answers to those questions. Lloyd says, why aren't we grooming young men and women for office? Every four years, we should have two or three candidates that we have groomed for office from youth. Someone who is fluent in multiple languages with a military and or intelligence background, someone who's schooled in critical thinking, etc. We should be working on a united front to build a better nation, that's how you help to change America. Well, Lloyd, you, Todd, you might remember I used to talk about this years ago when we were a local show. Aaron, maybe you heard it too, but I used to talk about the fact that if a young man met a young woman in the youth ministry at church and went to the pastor and said, hey, we're talking about getting married. I didn't have the greatest example as a, as a husband growing up. Could you show me, you know, what, what God expects of me as a husband? The pastor would say what? Oh yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, a few years later or nine months later, um, he goes back to that same pastor and says, Hey, I'm going to be a dad. And I didn't have the greatest example of a dad growing up. Would you show me what God expects of me as a father? Same pastor would be like, I'm happy to do that, right? Sure. Then maybe he started a business now. And a few, late, a few years later now, this business is very successful. And he wants to be a good steward of the resources that his business is providing. Goes back to that same pastor for a third time and says, can you show me what God demands of me to be a good steward of my resources? Again, I would imagine that pastor would be enthusiastic to help in that area, right? Hope so. But then a few more years go by. Maybe now those children are grown. 
or they're about to be grown and out of the house. And that same young man has been married for many years. He's got a little salt in that hair. And he's thinking about what kind of world he's going to leave behind for his grandkids. And he isn't all that impressed with some of the people that represent him in local office or even national office. He goes back to that same pastor for a fourth time now and says, you know, I feel called to run for office. Would you show me what, what God demands of me as a public servant? Chances are that same pastor is now going to suddenly say, sorry, kid. You know, that's not what we do here. We don't get involved in those arenas. And, you know, we're a 501c3 after all, right? They might, yeah. Yeah. So this gets outsourced basically to whorish political parties and their ancillary uh, parachurch organizations, basically, right? Yep. And so this same man, stop me if you've heard this one before, this same man who faithful husband, faithful father, faithful steward, right? Because for those first three endeavors in life, he was discipled according to the expectations of his creator. We get to part four now. How many times have we seen that same guy is a horrible public servant? Because he's now been discipled according to the expectations of the political system. He thinks he's answering to a different God. Yes. And you know why he thinks that? Because that's what he's basically he been is. led to believe. Yes. The one who's supposed to be representing the actual God. That's exactly right. Yeah. Is it because this person's a terrible Christian? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And often not. I mean, he's already, he's already passed. It's already passed the exam on three of the hardest things to do in life. Right. Husband, dad, steward. Right. You're describing Mike Pence in a lot of ways. <laughs> and now, now that he's mature in his faith, now that, now that the, the convergence of my life and my faith should be easier than it was when he was younger. Exactly. That's the irony, yes. Now is when he fails. Why? Because who discipled him? What was he discipled to? It wasn't the church. It wasn't, you know, I'm trying to think, is there anything in the Bible at all about politics? Like, what if there was like a book called, I don't know, Kings? Hmm. What do you think? Or, just in case, like, God should have been smart enough to put two books in there like that. So you could see like the whole gamut of various different sorts of political figures and what God demanded of them and how he interacted with them and, and what behavior of theirs was rewarded and what was not. I, I, I'm really just shocked and dismayed God didn't have the foresight to preserve such a record. Thoughts? Anyone? It'd be, I wish we had an example as well in the Bible of... Somebody utilizing their, you know, dual or maybe tri citizenship. Right. Some of that, that like with like member of a, the church. Yeah. But then like part of a free society at the same time. And, and part of a, the kingdom of God. too. Right. That too. And then had to figure out 
you know, before we did here in America, <coughs> pardon me, had to figure out how to, you know, weave through those areas where they intersect and not lose your integrity or character on the other side. Right? So you're describing a book of where everybody ends up. You're the, the, currently of the land that we bring birth into existence is the book of Judges. That's one area. We're also describing, I think, what he's talking about. You're talking about Paul. Yeah. Yeah, too, in the New Testament. But yeah, you're right. When we, when we act as if those stories don't exist, <coughs> pardon me, uh, when we act as if those stories don't exist, we end up right where you said. Um, in those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did what was wise in their yeah. own eyes. And that's where we are right now. And this is why you're seeing men of great piety, great character. And I would argue courage. It takes great courage to die to yourself to become a godly husband. It takes great courage to die to yourself to become a godly father. It maybe even takes more courage to die to yourself to become a godly steward, right? It's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of the he- or, or camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, Jesus probably preached about the, the horrors of money more than any subject other than hell itself, what it can do to us. And so here we have these men who tackle these other areas with great commit, with great conviction and with courage, and when they get to public office, they wilt repeatedly. <coughs> Pardon me, my voice is starting to give out now. Um, they wilt repeatedly. They bend the knee to the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age they did not bend the knee to in their marriage. The temptations that they were able to defeat as a father. The the temptations that they ignored or overcame as a steward to not cut corners, to not treat their employees poorly, to not lie on their taxes, to, to be kind and generous with their own first fruits, right? Suddenly now, they just, they get to the, what is it? Why is it when they suddenly get to the political arena, they, they, they suddenly joined Ben Folds 5. Why, why does that happen? You're describing what I say when I want to run for office. I want to find out. I got to know. Like, what happens to you people? It's, it's, I, I think a lot of it is the email we've been answering. They, they, they weren't discipled in those other areas. And nature abhors a vacuum. And so if the church will not disciple you in the area of public service, the system will do it instead. More in a moment. Truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. The world may know this is Steve Dace. 
Whether it's back, knees, neck, or shoulder pain, the underlying cause could very likely be inflammation. Unless it's an injury, and if it's an injury, by all means, of course, go get professional medical help. But if you're dealing with that chronic stiffness, achiness, soreness, chances are inflammation's the culprit. That's why you want to try Omega XL, because it attacks, unlike those topical pain relievers or, uh, or pills you may take, um, that just mask the problem. Uh, it attacks the inflammation that's causing the problem. Uh, backed by 35 years of clinical research, it's brilliant. It's what I use as a part of my daily regimen, and I would recommend that you do the same. If you want to give it a shot right now, give it a shot with buy one, get one free. When you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve, you can buy one bottle, get the second one for free at OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or give them a call. 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Let's get back here to Feedback Friday. This is from Mora, who says, I've been a nurse for 20 years. Mother of two boys, the doctor at the clinic where I work, offered me the COVID vaccine in January before I could say no. She also asked me my medical history. I am epileptic. And based on that, she refused to give it to me because in the few studies it had given she had seen it had given some people seizures. I was relieved I had an answer to those pressuring me into getting it. I live in New York City, and you can only imagine my own aunt isn't convinced I'm not eligible. She won't see us without masks until we are all vaccinated. She's the only one left of my parents' generation. I told my husband I am okay not seeing her for a while. I will not be bullied into taking a vaccine. Uh, I do not need. I'm 44 and in good health. My own doctor advised me not to take it. Uh, because he's hospitalized more people post-vaccine than COVID. He has been very involved in getting ivermectin approved for treating COVID. I was raised to think for myself and always seek the truth. Never more have I needed to use those tools my parents gave me at an early age. I just never thought it would come to this being an American. Thank you to you guys for being a source for truth for me in this very trying time. Next time, next time you talk to your aunt... She's vaccinated. Ask her what she's scared of. Right. That's it. See what she says. Unless she thinks she could then still give it to you. But isn't she vaccinated? Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. You know why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Yes. Yes. Now I know how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, JD says, recently I had a conversation with my mother-in-law, who's a native of Florida. She lives in the suburbs. She's in her 40s and fits snugly. Uh, into the category as a white Christian woman who did not vote for Trump in 2016 or 2020 because he tweets mean things. To be fair, I am fond of her, but she does tend to fall in the Karen category on occasion. She hates masks, though, with a passion. So I give her a pass on a lot because I like that. (laughs) She and I have debated regularly over the four years I've known her, which has heightened by the fact an election pandemic year was my first year of marriage to her daughter. To my shock, she recently expressed that she is highly fond of Ron DeSantis. I pressed in trying to identify exactly what quality about DeSantis appealed to her that Trump did not have. Perhaps it is that he holds a better balance of eloquence and savagery when dealing with the left. Curious what you think DeSantis has that appeals to this demographic in which Trump greatly failed. I think you articulated it, J.D. I think we we have to remember, people vote for people. Not for a construct, for idea, 
They vote for a person. In the 80s, Ronald Reagan ran on great ideals. Making it morning in America again was never on the ballot. That wasn't on the ballot. Ending the Cold War, not on the ballot. What was on the ballot? Ronald Reagan. They voted for him or not. And so I think what your mother-in-law is seeing is essentially with DeSantis, she's seeing Trump's agenda, although actually deployed into governance. And so she's benefiting from it without any of the unnecessary. um, And it's all cost benefit analysis and ROI. If I'm going to tolerate that level of crazy, I better win the lottery. And I didn't feel like I was. Yes. And so DeSantis is just more polished as a man. Um, it, it's funny. He sounds a lot like Trump in his own way when he picks fights with the media. But note that he picks the fights. He doesn't get, he doesn't feel like it, there, it's not every day. You think we only, you think the Miami Herald is only going after Ron DeSantis the days that we see Ron DeSantis go back at them. You think the rest of those days they're covering him fairly? What do you think is the answer to that? <laughs> no. No. He chooses when he goes back. He chooses. It, it, it's not a dog with a bone, a moth to a. It's not a. It's not a moth with a flame. It's not a. It, it, you know. It, it's not a. It, it's not a fly with a with a with a, a porch light. Every time, some every slight, every time someone dares step to me, has a different opinion. Every time, I must. I must act. I must respond every time. That really is exhausting, okay? This is like, it's about quarterback rating. Trump was basically, um, he's the Saints backup now, the former Florida State guy. He was with Tampa. Jameis Winston. He's Jameis Winston. Jameis 30 Winston's, touchdown passes, 30 interceptions. Yeah, is that what you mean? His greatest touchdown Only year. time that's ever happened in NFL history. Yeah, yes. he had his greatest year of offensive output. Yes. But it came with so much collateral damage. Yes. And they got rid of him the yes. next year. In the end, you, you can't rise above your own character or worldview. And the things that have, the overindulgences that have made him both a great success and also a great flop and, um, and scandal bearer throughout the course of his pre-political life for Donald Trump played themselves out when he was in the White House. And of course, the media that is just looking to instigate at every turn took full advantage of that even at times when they were dishonest. One of the things that I've seen from DeSantis so far, he picks fights when they benefit people like your mother-in-law. Not always because they benefit him. And that, I think, is a big key. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, that goes to what you're just saying. Uh, it, are we doing this for me or are we doing this for you? Which, which one is it? And when Trump in business... I mean, and I don't know how many ultimately employees he has, but when he declared bankruptcy, you know, th- that trickle down was significant, but it was still confined to him and his business. He declared bankruptcy at, fundamentally as a president multiple times. We're the ones who ultimately have to bear that cost when he when his reach exceeds his grasp. And it often did. Tim in Ashland, Virginia says, I work at the Navy Yard in D.C. They're pretty much in lockstep with the branch covidians and the mask mandates, social distancing, all the other restrictions. Even though the mean age overall is probably considerably below 70, 
We were just informed of a new Navy initiative called Shot X. This initiative has placed every department of the Navy, civilian, contractor, and military employee at the head of the line for the vaccinations. I find this ridiculous at best and appalling at worst. I don't plan to get the vaccination. My wife just got the first of the Pfizer shots. If I am asked why I won't get it, I'm going to ask them back. If I do, can I stop wearing the mask? And I guess we'll see where things go from there. And by the way, if you guys need any backup, when you go Michael Douglas and falling down, you can call on me. <laughs> I like that. Um, this is from M. M writes, I'm currently on active duty orders in the Navy at one of their training bases, and we are still very much under the terrifying rule of Lord Fauci. May he rule forever. Currently, any and all bases in my area are in a condition called Charlie. I cannot go out in the local town except for food and gas. I cannot go to any restaurant except for the purpose of going to the drive-thru. I cannot go shopping for clothes, shoes, furniture, or any other item that might make my home more like home without worrying about catching huge repercussions from my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss's boss. The consequences are quite real. More than a few people that are in fairly advanced training have been removed from further training after celebrating a major milestone in town and having photos taken of them. More than once, my fellow members and I have been threatened with UCMJ, that's Uniform Code of Military Justice for the Uninitiated, uh, UCMJ articles and major punishment if we do not follow all of the COVID policies. I'm lucky that we're allowed to go to indoor religious facilities. Masks, you bet. All military members are required to wear them on base at nearly all times. We are fortunately not required to wear them during PT, but pretty much everywhere else, regardless of who has the vaccine. Todd was also correct. Everyone in the military will have the COVID vaccine when it receives FDA approval, as all FDA approved vaccines are given to us. From the culture war, things could not be much worse. I may not be the first one to note, but there is a major disconnect between the officers and enlisted personnel in the military. While most enlisted remain fairly conservative, I've yet to meet an officer that does not need not lean even a little bit left and most lean fairly far to the left. It is, in my opinion, we're reaching a breaking point in the military soon. I've been told for quite some time that a major war with China is coming in the next five to ten years. And I currently do not see how the military can fight effectively if the officers and enlisted personnel cannot come to an agreement on what matters in the culture they're defending. The further up you go, the worse it gets. It is no secret that generals and admirals are political appointments, and most of them are very on board with the new culture shift going on. For evidence, see the Tucker Carlson incident that just occurred. I will tell you now that there is an extremely low likelihood of those senior officers ever being removed, if at all. I do not need to tell you that would not be the case if they had attacked, say, Rachel Maddow or Brian Stelter, as boneheaded as he may be. The coming conflict does not bode well for us if our military disagrees internally on what our culture is. Let's discuss this. Aaron, I want to start with you given the fact you have a brother in the military, correct? Mm -hmm. What do you think? I haven't really talked to my brother. It's funny, actually. I texted him yesterday, but that's the first time I've, I've had contact with him for 
a couple of of months we haven't talked about the covid thing i i try not to with with my uh with my family too much i know it's it's a uh, and i know this is not specifically about um uh, about covid tris is is really blessed to be where he is right now i know he loves it he he really does he's not had to deal in his capacity with some of the things that have been um, uh, laid out there in that letter. Um, and, and I don't, I, I know he wants to still continue this career and he's been in the military and the air force for, it's got to be near a decade now. Um, I will tell you though, from a couple of close buddies that I have who I'm actually going to see uh, tonight and <laughs> tomorrow, first time I've, I've seen one of them and, in uh, quite a while, or at least hung out with one of them in, in quite a while. They got into the Marines and the Army, uh, respectively. They got in because, one, they knew that it was a surefire thing for them, an, a surefire opportunity for them that they wouldn't have had in, in small-town um, Iowa, in the poorest county in the state. That's one reason. The other reason is... They were drawn. They were guys. They were. There. There are some. There are some millennials who are just dudes at, at heart, <laughs> and they were. They were just drawn to the concept of serving one's country, sacrificing one's uh, for one's country, and to varying degrees, especially with the one in the army. But to varying degrees, what I heard from them is they they found out really really quickly that that's not really what it's about anymore. And this has been darn near uh, six, seven years ago now. Six, seven, eight years ago. Think about think about the stuff we're just hearing now. Right. And this was six or seven years ago. And even they were like, uh, get, out of, get out of here. Both of them went to Afghanistan. Um, when our military is viewed... By the people who thinks who think it is their job to bring America down a notch, that it's not really our job to be leaders on the global, on the global scale. And when our military is viewed as not as a um, as a bunch of of means to an end, and that end is killing and destroying our enemies mm-hmm. to protect the United States, eventually you're going to get the social experiments that we hear about and we just heard about a little bit ago. So with my brother, I, I can't really speak to that too much. I, I can with a couple of close buddies that I've gotten. And I think they would tell you a variation on that same story. Todd, let me uh, go to you here after I tell the audience really quick about Built Bar, one of our favorite products, the best protein bar you've ever had, I promise. The best tasting candy bar you've ever tried, even though it's not a candy bar. I promise that too. You've never tried anything that's this healthy and tastes this good. All of their flavors covered in real chocolate. One of their most popular flavors, cookies and cream. Here's the health profile. 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs. That's it. That's it. You cannot do better than this. If you're like me and you've got the sweet tooth, this is your healthy cure. If you've never tried it before, today is the day for you. 15% off your first order when you use my name, Dace, D-E-A-C-E, as the promo code at BuiltBar.com. B-U-I-L-T, 
for BuiltBar.com. Again, BuiltBar.com, promo code DACE. 15% off your first order. BuiltBar.com, promo code DACE. Todd. Within um, the inner city black community, we pointed out all the time that the, the story that just never talked about and why they have the problems that they have is because uh, the out of wedlock birth rate and men are generally nowhere to be found in any legitimate leadership uh, capacity. But it would be utterly wrong to hang that unique quality uh, around the inner city black community. The simple fact of the matter is that what Aaron laid out is that we, we are just crying out for manhood and leadership it across the board in every segment of America. I mean, the military, it's in, it's incapable of functioning as a military should if the leadership right now is basically men who feel pretty or justify that. It's, it's, it's a mathematical impossibility. You can't get that one plus one to equal two ever. Hmm. That'll do it for our show here today. Every one of you, hopefully, you have a great weekend. Uh, we will see you again on Monday. And until then, John 317. This is... 